Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Four or five are doing good. One person doing a little foggy. The rest of you we're going to pray for later. Uh, it's, I'm glad to be with you guys today. Hey, once a month, I have been taking, uh, we've been taking a step back from our sermon series that we've been doing through the Gospel of Mark, and we're taking a look at one of the things that kind of uh, one of our values, one of our defining features as a community of Jesus followers. Like, what's the Vineyard Church all about? Today, what I want to talk about is uh, how bad we are at spelling. We spell faith R-I-S-K. See, I told you, like, we're horrible at it. Like, you could, you could never play Wordle and win spelling like that. It just is not going to work. But that little phrase, we spell faith, R-I-S-K, has been for nearly 50 years for vineyard communities a really key phrase, a key way of thinking about life with God. It's almost like a little motto for life with God around here and, and our life with one another. The, the faith in Jesus that we see in the scriptures, the Christianity that we see in the Bible, was never meant to be understood as kind of a disembodied, do some stuff at church and then go home kind of faith. I don't think that Christ had any intention of founding an anemic church that would become highly skilled at doing religious stuff with none of the power of the Holy Spirit. Next week is Pentecost Sunday, and I'm going to dive into that in depth. So this phrase that initially came out of vineyard churches about 50 years ago has really actually rocked our world quite significantly. We've been studying through the Gospel of Mark for the past few months, and we've seen again and again and again how Jesus invites his followers to do the same kinds of things that he was doing to put their faith, their trust, their confidence in him to do those kinds of things. And it's always, 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 it feels like a risk when we do that. The risks that we take involve doing the things that Jesus did in our real everyday lives. So we spell faith R-I-S-K. Now you might not think of yourself as a risk taker. I've honestly never really thought of myself as a risk taker until I started comparing myself with other people. And then I discovered I do take a lot of risks that other people don't normally take. Well, Frank Farley is a psychologist at Temple University who has spent pretty much his entire career studying what he's labeled the capital T type thrill-seeking personality. There's a continuum, of course. There starts, you know, the capital T on one side, thrill-seeking personality, to the lowercase t is the way that he describes it at the other end of the continuum. Quote from him, capital T's are thrill-seekers. They pursue excitement and novelty. They thrive on uncertainty. You can find these people among entrepreneurs, among explorers, among extreme athletes. He goes on to say, take skydiving, for example. For a capital T, the twinge of fear that you feel as you're about to step out of the plane is reframed for them as joy or exhilaration, not terror. The capital T may interpret the act of leaving the plane in midair as an opportunity to feel fully alive. Those of you that tend towards that, you're hearing that and you go, yeah, that's alive. And then there's a whole bunch of us that we hear that and we're like, that's stupid, <laughs> right? 
That's more of lowercase t. Of course, there's a continuum. He said capital T's can be mental or intellectual risk takers as well, rather than just physical thrill seekers. He writes, Albert Einstein was a mental capital T who went beyond the status quo and pioneered a new and totally unconventional consumption in physics. Lowercase t's, he talks about, or more risk-averse individuals are the opposite of that. They flourish within the prescribed rules of predictability and order, often looking for security or tradition. Society, turns out, requires rules in order to function. And these folks are incredibly important, and generally they tend to live longer. That was a joke for myself. A lowercase t might be somebody who's a school teacher or an accountant. Capital T might work as a police officer or launch a startup. You get the idea, right? Here's the deal. Every single one of us, wherever we fall on that continuum, live with risk. We all do. There's the risk of taking a new job that you think is going to be brilliant. And after two months, it's like the job from hell. There's the risk of moving to a new city. There's the risk of like asking somebody out on a date. There's the risk of actually getting married. There's a risk of kissing people now. You could get COVID really fast instead of really slow. You gotta take your masks down to do that. There's the risk of learning new skills. There's the risk of tackling a new hobby. Maybe those golf clubs aren't gonna do what I thought they were gonna do. There's the risk of, you know, uh, finding out that you're wrong as you share your opinions or the risk of rejection as you start talking about what you really think. There's the risk of playing a game and you might lose. There's the risk of actually not being able to put together that 5,000-piece puzzle that's all one color. Like, have you ever seen those? Has anybody wanted to buy one of those puzzles? There's 5,000 pieces and it's just all white. My, my wife loves, Brenda, whom you just met up here, she loves to put together puzzles. And they're just, I'm an artist. I always think the pictures are so ugly. I just like, why waste your time with an ugly picture? And then I keep wanting to buy her the 5,000 ones that it's a slow gradation from like orange to red and 5,000 pieces and fills up the whole wall. And she's like, that would be horrible. And I think that would be a fun puzzle because it would be like really difficult and I'd still never do it. There's a risk of like getting a new pet. It's gonna poop on everything, right? We all take risks. There's a risk of showing up in our world today online as a compassionate person. We all take risks. We all do that. All of us fall somewhere on this continuum. And what I see in the scriptures Jesus doing with his disciples, what I believe God does for each one of us, is he's always inviting you and I to step out of our comfort zone. And stepping out of your comfort zone is always going to feel like a risk. Whatever your comfort zone is, I think even today God's inviting you to step out of it a little bit. What if following Christ was actually a little bit thrilling? What if showing up at a church and interacting with the body of Christ was actually a little bit exhilarating? What if it made your heart race a little bit faster? Not because you were afraid of what goofy stuff they were gonna say, but because of what God might do. What if following Jesus actually made the hair on the back of your neck stand up just a little bit? What if following Christ wasn't always safe and predictable completely subject to your control. 
but sometimes unreasonable, sometimes maybe a little bit dangerous, sometimes something that would make your professional colleagues shake their head and say, oh, Michael, I don't know. Seriously? At your stage of life? What if following Jesus was a little bit more like that? Today, I want us to consider for just a few moments what following Jesus might look like if faith is spelled R-I-S-K. If you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 14. We're going to look at a well-known story of the disciples, Jesus, Peter, and water that gets walked on but is not frozen. We don't think anything about walking on water. We do it all the time. I slip and fall on water at least once every winter. It hurts more than it used to. I'm going to start trying to put on skates maybe to do that. This is a pretty well-known story. And here's the deal. There's four questions I'm going to get to kind of at the end of this that I want us to really contemplate asking ourselves. If we want to see following Jesus be more than just kind of conventional and boring. Because I think he's inviting us to some cool stuff. So Matthew chapter 14. Let me pray and then I'll read that. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for the way that we experience you as we worship, the way we experience you, even as we like, you know, I don't know, for me, ride my motorcycle on a foggy morning. The way I can sense your presence around us, the way that we know your love. Father, would you, the same way you did with Peter, would you invite us out of our comfort zone a little bit? In Christ's name I pray, amen. Matthew 14, starting in verse 22, it reads like this. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. (laughs) When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Verse 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him. You have a little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. I think life with Jesus is an invitation into a life of faith. These guys are in the middle of the boat, middle of the lake, rowing all night, exhausted with the wind in their faces. Honestly, that's a picture of the real world that we live in. In the middle of the boat, rowing all night, wind in their faces. A picture of the real world. We often live, especially in the Western world, and doggone it, especially in America, we live with the idea that if you're following God, that everything in your life should be really good and comfortable and easy. But in this story, we read that the people Jesus loved, the people he was with, the people he sent out in the boat, like 
They're not experiencing life that way. It's not like some sort of fantasy. Listen, most of the people outside the Western world know that life is like living life is living constantly with the wind in your face. In the real world, it's like running against the wind. In the real world, it's like pedaling your bike uphill against the wind. It often feels that way. I've had, I've had days of riding, I don't know if you guys are bike riders, I've had days of riding my motorcycle where the wind is blowing at you and the whole day you're riding like this, trying to dry, ride in a straight line. And I remember getting to Albuquerque once and I was checking my tires and they were like totally worn out on one side. Not in the middle, just on one side. Because I spent the whole day riding like that against the wind. And it's really cool because you go by a semi-truck and you have to go whoop, whoop, and then back like that. Otherwise you're like all over the road. Like, I've had days like that of just riding, and you're like, your tires are worn out goofy, your shoulders are sore. That's often a picture of real life. And so here's one of the things I wonder. I wonder how many of us today feel like we've been struggling against the wind. Maybe the last week, maybe the past couple years. Feeling the exhaustion, the pressure of the wind in your face. Maybe it's with your family or your finances or your job or at school in a relationship, here's what I want to say. I want to say that's actually pretty normal. It's normal to feel the wind in your face, even though Jesus loves you, even though you're doing what he told you to do. Like these guys are doing exactly, they're in this situation because they obeyed God. <clears throat> like we missed that part right at the very beginning. Jesus, after he feeds like the 4,000, the 5,000, I forget which it was in this one, and then he tells them to get into the boat and he tells them where to go and they're facing the difficulty. They're obeying him. They're doing exactly what God told them to do. They got it right, and it's hard. They're his closest disciples. They've rearranged their life to follow him. They are doing the thing, and they find themselves in a really difficult place. And then right in the middle of their exhaustion, right in the middle of the storm, against all odds, Jesus is standing there. And it's not January, and it's not Duluth, and he's walking on the lake. And, you know, the passage says that they saw him and they were terrified. Like, yeah! <laughs> like, when, when God does stuff that's outside of the realm of what we think is possible, when he goes outside of the box, it's like, it totally, completely freaks us out. We do all sorts of mental gymnastics to try to keep God confined to like a safe little chihuahua puppy. I don't know if they're safe, but they're small. So I could easily overpower them, I think, if I could finally catch them. We keep God, like, in our minds, we keep him reduced to this little thing that I can control and I can decide what I think he should do and when he should do it. Like he's some flipping genie in a bottle. That's not who he is. And he shows up in a way that absolutely terrifies them because it breaks through all their different things that they think. And then I love it. Peter, he takes a risk. He climbs out of the boat. He actually walks on water. Peter's walking towards him. Come on, man. Peter pushed out of his comfort zone. Imagine all the things going on in his head as he puts his foot down. And somehow the water becomes firm under his foot. Like, there's a few steps there. And he's just like stepping out on this thing. 
Like imagine what's going through your brain at that moment when you're like, oh my Lord. <laughs> like I would start cussing in my really happy voice. Like what the heck is going on? Look at, oh my gosh, this is me. And then like you look at the wind and you look at the waves and you look at where you're at and you're thinking, how the heck did I get here? And then whew, you're singing that old Righteous Brothers song. I got this sinking feeling. Whoa, the sinking feeling. <laughs> Do you guys know that song? I got this sinking feeling and I'm gone, gone, gone. I should stop singing. Like, imagine the thrill at first. Like, the one time in your life, just once, you've gone beyond your human limits. Like, you've gone beyond all of that. And you, and you know what it feels like to experience something that only God can do. And he's doing it in you and through you to experience what you know you couldn't possibly accomplish on your own. I mean, seriously, wouldn't you like to walk on water? The capital T's are going, yes! The lowercase T's are going, well, maybe. Right? Like, wouldn't you like to do that? I mean, like, think about it. At least once in your life, to actually see God do a real miracle, to be involved in a dramatic healing, to lead someone to Christ, to participate in something that only God can do that goes well beyond your capacities. Wouldn't you like to be involved in something that God's doing that thrills you all the way down to your toes? Not to have to pay money to get some manufactured thrill. I like roller coasters. But well beyond that, to actually see something that God's doing. Like, I don't know, I, 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 I like that. There's nothing as thrilling as knowing in the moment that the creator of the universe is actually doing something through you. Nothing in the world compares to that. So, I'm just gonna assume for a moment that you're like the rest of humanity. That you'd like at least a little bit of excitement in your life following Jesus. Maybe the reason that you're here is because you, you hope against hope that faith in Christ could be a little less predictable. It's not just religious jargon. It's not just something, you know, like, I don't know, pop and all the fizz has gone out of it. That maybe relationship with God is meant to be thrilling. If you want that, here's four questions. First question is this, what's your boat? Not what floats your boat, but what's your boat? Your boat is anything that you rely on for safety and security apart from God. Like, what's your boat? In the middle of feeling overwhelmed, what do you cling to for safety and security? It could be financial security. That could be your boat. The thought of risking financial security and watching what the stock market does scares you to death. Your boat could be your parents' expectations and approval, Right? You may not even agree with their values. You may, you, you, their opinions might drive you nuts, but the thought of losing their approval really scares you to inaction. Your boat could be your job or your major in college. I, I've met folks who really, really dislike their jobs, but the thought of stepping out of the job that they really, really dislike to take a risk at something else it's like also scares them to in it's, it's it's immobilizing insecurity. Your boat could be a relationship, right? Some of you like you even see red flags in relationships that you're in, but the thought of being alone is really scary. Your boat could be other people's opinions. 
Some of what keeps you securely anchored in the boat might be what your friends might think if you were to climb overboard and actually really follow Jesus. Your boat is whatever represents safety and security to you apart from God himself. You guys remember the old book by John Ortberg where he says, if you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. We have to. And we all have a boat. So here's the deal. Can you identify what your boat is? Like if you want to take the next step, you got to identify what the boat is. And for many of us, it depends where we're at. I could have like 20 boats. I wouldn't have room for them all in my yard, but I could have like 20 boats that actually things I rely on for security other than God. Are you aware of what keeps you from venturing out, what prevents you from discovering some of the excitement of actually following Jesus? Sitting in the boat as a follower of Jesus is actually really dull. Going to church, spending time even here with, without actually participating in what God's doing, it is boring. And we're actually created for more than that, much more than that. So one of the questions, second question is this, can't I just avoid all the risks? We naturally ask that question. We want to avoid, naturally, pain and suffering and difficulties. Now, while it may be normal to want to avoid difficulty, it's not good for us to avoid them all. Life in this world is inherently risky. Like if you ride any kind of a two-wheeled vehicle, you know that's true. It's why we're praying for safety for bikers this season. Can't I just avoid all the risks? Well, here's a few statistics. I don't think we can. So here's a few morbid statistics. Lightning kills about 10,000 people annually. Tornadoes kill like 100 people every year. Airplanes, depending on the year, somewhere between two and 500 people. Hippos, hippos kill 3,000 people a year and they're vegetarians. Like they kill way more than sharks do. Hippos, you might say, you know what, Michael? I'm just gonna avoid all the big animals. Do you know that ants kill 50 people annually? Do you know what the most dangerous animal is to the humans? It kills 725,000 people a year. Mosquitoes. Aren't you glad you live in Minnesota? Right? You say, well, that's it. I'm just going to retire on a beach. Do you know that falling coconuts kill 150 people a year? <laughs> you might say, well, I'm just going to stay inside. 450 people a year in America die falling out of bed. Vending machines kill 13 people a year. I don't think it's what's in the machine. I think them trying to get stuff out of the machine and it falls on them or something. I don't know. And before you start celebrating and saying, none of that happened to me, champagne corks kill 24 people a year. Now, while this is somewhat humorous, let me say this. It's not funny at all the risks that parents and kids feel like they're taking just going to school. My heart, our hearts are broken over the violence in our country that we continue to experience. And I think it's vitally important to pray, to cry out to God for his mercy, and it's vitally important to work to change some of the systems and policies that encourage and allow that to happen. Here's the deal though, none of us is ever risk-free. 
Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 25 of uh, a landowner giving out talents to people. And talent in, in that world was uh, an expression of money. And one person got, you know, like 10, one person got five, one person got one. The, the, uh, the guys that got like the more talents, they took those, they invested them, they did something with them, and they increased them. And the person who played it safe, who took no risks, who just buried the one talent, when the person got back, uh, the landowner got back, even that was taken away from him. The parable that Jesus is saying is that it's inherently risky to kind of do follow him and do what he's doing. And the reason we can take risks in this world is because Jesus has taken away kind of the pain of risk from us eternally. When we put our trust in Jesus, we believe in Christ, we entrust our life to him, the thing you fear will not happen to you, even when your body quits working. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he ends that chapter, chapter eight in the book of Romans. He says this, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor your height or depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even if the worst thing ends up happening and we die, when you've entrusted your life to Christ, the thing that you fear will not happen to you. You get to transition into life with him. And because of that staggering promise, there is no risk for the followers of Jesus that the thing that we fear the most would come our way. Nothing can ever separate you from the love of Christ when you put your trust in him. You know that you're secure in God's love. And when you know that, most of that risk is gone. You're free to step out of your comfort zone. So how does this faith thing work? Two more questions from this passage that are really helpful. Look what Peter says in verse 28. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Here's the third question, who's leading you? Before you rush out of the boat, you've got to know who's inviting you to step out. Is it Jesus who's inviting you to step out of the boat? We get some really good ideas about things that we think God should be doing and we rush off to do them as if they're God ideas. And not every good idea that you and I get is actually him inviting us to do something. Honestly, we live in a culture that's constantly telling us to leave whatever we're currently doing for something that's the latest and the greatest. To leave any kind of uncomfortable situation so that we can find comfort. But here's a question. What if racing around the country from church to church, job to job, relationship to relationship, because God will surely do a miracle through me if I just was in a different spot rather than here. What if that's not actually putting our faith in him? What if digging in and, and doing the really hard work of deepening relationship and growing where God has planted us and keeping our commitments, what if risk for you meant doing the really scary thing, staying put and letting God use you where you're at? What if the most important thing isn't where you're, where you're going or where you're at, but it's who you're following? That's the third question. Who is leading you? All the risk turns on what is God saying? 
is it really Jesus who's inviting us out of the boat? Lord, if it's you. I love that. Peter sees him out there. It looks like Jesus. It sounds like Jesus. It smells like Jesus. Lord, if it's you, invite me out. If it's you. So, two quick thoughts. That's one of the reasons the scriptures are so incredibly valuable. In the scriptures, we see what God is like. And we see what his character is throughout the whole of the scriptures. We see God's love and commitment to the humans and to actually recreating humanity and the world as we know it. To bring it back to what he originally intended it to do. We see that whole scope in the scriptures. And so it's really important to compare the things I think I hear God saying, we'll talk about the Holy Spirit next week, with what the scriptures say. Because he's not going to lead us in a way that he hasn't led people in the past. Secondly, it's really important to do that work of discernment in relationship and in community with spiritual directors and pastors and small group leaders, folks that are not just your age and your frame of life, but folks that are way older and younger than you, listening to God together for the things that he's leading us to. It's like it's really important to do that in community with folks that have way more experience hearing God in terms of that. And so, Lord, if it's you, our churches are meant to be communities where we practice hearing the voice of the Spirit and taking risks together. And then once we hear the voice of Jesus leading us, faith isn't just belief. It's not just giving mental assent to, yep, I think God's saying that. Somebody should do that. It's not just another form of risk management. Faith is an adventure where we step out in obedience. Faith means learning to do what the Father's doing. Faith means trying. If you want to write down only one thing, one thing from this talk, it's these three words. Faith means trying. You just try. In a safe environment like this, you just try. You just try. You just try to pray for somebody. You want to see God actually do more healing in your life? And, and, and you want to see like people get healed that you pray for? There's only two things you got to do. Find a sick person. This is really easy. Find a sick person, pray for them. That's it. Just do that a whole bunch of times. Faith means trying. You want to see if God's given you some leadership ability and you want to try leading a small group and helping disciple other people? All, all you have to do is just try. Go to a small group. Even ask, would, would you let me try teaching a little bit sometime? And any small group leader here at the vineyard would probably go, yeah. Unless you're like totally whacked out. And then they go, well, let's work on that. Do you know what I mean? Faith means trying. You just got to try some stuff. And then thirdly, where's your focus? I mean, fourthly, where's your focus? Last question. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. I bet that when Peter first stepped out, his, eye, his eyes were transfixed on Jesus. He's like looking at Jesus. He's putting his foot down. Oh my gosh, it's firm. I can step on that. And he's just looking at Jesus the whole time. And that's how most of us start out following Jesus. We start out in life with God. We are captivated by him, by his beauty, by the things he does. It's amazing. But it doesn't take very long. Anybody been following Jesus more than a couple of years? It doesn't take terribly long, and all of a sudden you're thinking, I'm pretty good. I got this thing down. And then stuff starts happening in life. 
the wind, the waves, the wind in your face, the wind in your face, the uphill feeling, the wind in your face. And you're no longer looking at Jesus. You're looking at your tired, shaky legs, and you're thinking, how is this even possible? Because you got your focus off. Our focus is actually meant to be him 100% of the time. There's a really simple little physics experiment. God is like really, really big. Let's picture God like the biggest thing in the, the biggest thing that you can imaginally think of in your problems as your fist, right? So God's the size of this room. My problem is my fist. If I hold my problem out here, the room looks a whole lot bigger than my fist, right? But if I close one eye and put my fist there, I can't even see the room anymore. Where's your focus? Where's your focus? Sometimes it's really important for me just to go, you know what? That is a problem in my life. It's attached to my arm. I can't get rid of it. It's a problem. And I'm going to work on that problem. But the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is so much bigger than this. So much bigger. And he's going to walk me through it every step of the way. He's going to be there with me, with the wind in my face. Every step of the way, he's going to be there. So we spell faith R-I-S-K. Listen, I bet the other 11 disciples that were sitting in the boat were at once really relieved that Peter began to sink. Because I bet at the beginning they were pretty jealous. As Peter starts taking a few steps on water, I bet they're like, hey, 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 I want to try that. And then he begins to sink and they're like, ah, yeah, you know, Peter. I don't know about you guys, I don't want to sit in the boat and just look at Peter learning things and trying things. I want to see God move in my life. And I bet you're kind of the same way. Faith is trying. We spell it R-I-S-K. That's what I got. Why don't you guys stand up? Talk about crash landing a sermon. So I don't know the situations, the difficulties that you're facing in your life. I know that we all have them. And I know that God wants to meet us in the midst of those difficulties. And not just meet us in the midst of those difficulties, but empower us to be his hands and feet, to be his presence in other people's difficulties. In difficulties that we face as, a, as, as in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our country. He wants to empower us to bring like, his presence and his compassion and his joy to the people around us, his comfort. And so I just want to pray that God would empower us to do that. And then we're going to have some ministry time up here in the front. And what we do during that time is we just really bless what God's doing in one another's lives. And we ask him for those things that we need individually. We ask him to meet us in those things. And if you've never taken the opportunity to get prayer up here at front, in a couple minutes, man, I would really encourage you to do that for whatever God is dialing up for you. So Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your peace that you offer us. Thank you for the challenge that you offer us. Thank you for the hope uh, that we experience even when the wind's in our face and we've been rowing all night and not getting anywhere. 
Thank you for the way that you meet us in that. Jesus, the same way you met the disciples. And for those of us that feel like we're in that place, God, would you meet us right now? So if you're in the ministry team, make your way up here. If you feel like you're in that place where you're just rowing all night, the wind's in your face, um, the folks up here would love to pray for you. I just want to pray for you. Bless what God's doing in your life. Holy Spirit, would you come? And then for others of us, I think if you're kind of near one side of the continuum and you're what that uh, psychologist dude, I can't remember his name uh, right now, Frank somebody, it's in my notes. Um, If you're on one side and you're like an uppercase T kind of person and you love looking for that kind of challenge, like you you get eager for that sort of thing. I feel like what the Lord might want to speak to you is to remember the tentativeness that Peter had, Lord, if it's you. Because sometimes you could just want to jump at every challenge, at every risk. And I love the, the tenderness and the, the, um, the uh, tentativeness in Peter's voice. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And for those of us on the other side of that spectrum, or somewhere in the middle, where we just want to stay back, again, I would turn to that, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. I think God has something for all of us as it relates to our comfort zones. I think he's inviting us outside of that. And he's going to bring people across our paths even this week who really need what the Holy Spirit has placed in us. And our job, our joy, is to participate with what God's doing in their life. Wherever we happen to be, whether it's shopping for groceries or coaching soccer or sitting with folks. I think the Lord wants to empower us to really bring his presence and his peace to people's lives. And we can't do it on our own. No matter how gifted we are, we can't. And so, if that's you, come on up and get some prayer. And if you are part of our prayer ministry team, if you pray for people who lead a small group, come on up and become part of that prayer ministry team. And let's just pray for one another today for those things that God's doing in our lives. Other than that, God bless you guys. Thanks for coming to the vineyard today. And next week, Pentecost Sunday, time to talk about the Holy Spirit and the things he does in our lives. All right, have a great rest of your Memorial Day weekend.